we, uh, we are in a series here uh, where we've been looking at the declaration of principle. In other words, why is it that we are Baptists? Or what does it mean that we're a Baptist church? Why does that have any significance? What would that look like? Why do we use that language? And we've said lots of things. We've said things like, well, it doesn't really matter. And we've said things like, well, it matters a great deal. So... Nick's not had enough music, he needs some more. Um, And we've said things like uh, the fact that we will hold deeply our own convictions while at the same time graciously and humbly recognizing that people disagree with us. Good people who love Jesus and are walking with Jesus. And we want to honor that too. But we have said, looked at the first two points of this declaration of principle, and we've said that there are a couple of things we can recognize from that. The first was all about, well actually let me test you. What was the first one about? Jesus, that's right, and scripture. Exactly. The supremacy of Jesus in all things, that he has all the authority in heaven and on earth, and that he is our authority in all things. Jesus is number one. Uh, What was the second one about? Baptism. It was about baptism. And we talked about how we have a deep conviction that the best practice of baptism is about... uh, those who are believers being baptized in a whole load of water. But we said the volume of water really doesn't matter. Uh, it's just best practice because it symbolizes something. And what it symbolizes is death and resurrection into new life. And that's the key for us. That as Baptists, we are what I called conversionists. So we don't think you ever inherit your faith somehow, but you actually have to own it for yourself in some profound way. And that baptism is a symbol of what's going on there. So we've seen the supremacy of Jesus, we've seen baptism, but baptism is a symbol of the fact that we are a conversionist people, that we want to see people come to faith. And so this week we come to the third thing. Does anyone know what the third one is? And you're not allowed to answer. No? Third one's about mission. And of course, that makes perfect sense in the context of the others, right? Jesus, baptism, mission. I was going to find some more Baptist jokes for us this week, but I didn't find any. Some of you will be disappointed and most of you will be really happy about that. So there we go. This is the third declaration of principle. That it is the duty of every disciple to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. What a brilliant statement to make, right? Kind of nails your colours to the mast. This is what we're about. The others talked about the supremacy of Jesus, something that is just a recognition of a truth. We talked about baptism, which is something the church does. But now we're getting down to the level of what is our individual responsibilities. And this uses the word duty, and we'll come to that in just a second. So what we're going to do today is we're going to have a look at this uh, quickly, and then we're going to ask the question at the end to kind of conclude this whole little series. Why does any of this really matter? What is this whole thing of membership? That kind of question at the end, and we'll tie it all up there. Is that okay? Good. (laughs) 
uh, I left my water here. Thank you. Um, okay. We have chosen to say these three things in our declaration. Jesus, baptism, mission. And the truth is, they aren't unique to us. We've said this a few times over the course of the last few weeks. They're not unique to us. Most good Christian denominations could pick the same three things. But they don't. They they express other things. So... If I think about uh, the Elam denomination, for example, we'd talk about, uh, they would talk about Jesus, definitely, but they've got a real focus on Jesus' return as part of their, how they understand themselves. Uh, you could, uh, I can't remember the Church of Scotland one now. Anyway, you get the point. There's lots of different little ways we could have chosen. And the point is, we're all, we're all playing with the same ingredients. It's just how we put them in the stew that bubbles up differently, right? And if you travel around the world, every single place you go in the world will have a dish that essentially has in it beef, gravy, onions, garlic, and often a bit of potatoes, right? That, that's just a bog standard stew here in Scotland, right? I grew up on that. That's what my mum made for us on a Tuesday night. If you were lucky, you didn't have to chew the beef until Wednesday night. You know, it was that kind of thing. Uh, if you go to Hungary, then they'll put some paprika in it and they'll call it goulash. Go to France, they'll take the potatoes out, they'll put mushrooms in and they'll put in a whole load of red wine and we'll end up with beef bourguignon. Exactly, right? So it's just a different kind of stew, right? It's all the same sort of thing. We just put our local flavour on it. And it doesn't mean when we have beef bourguignon that you go, oh, Glenn's mum's stew's rubbish. Just you're eating something a bit different. And so I think that's a really helpful way for us to think this. We like our particular mix of stew that we have here, but we recognise others make good stew to just use the same ingredients a bit differently. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? Anyway. So, we come to our last one, and it's important that we say, and we've done this with all of them, it's actually in the Bible. And I think it is. Of the Gospels, how many Gospels are there? People, listen to the question. How many Gospels are there? One Gospel, four accounts of the Gospel. Anyway, Glenn's pedantry moment for the Sunday morning. There you go, you'll not do that again. Do you know, I learned that about 30 years ago, long before I ever went to church. I had a guy, uh, a guy called Jack Lamb was the local community minister in the Church of Scotland. And he came to the Boys Brigade and he did that every other week until we got it right. It's always stuck in my head. Anyway, there you go. Four accounts of the gospel. Uh, The first one uh, that we have, just the way that they're laid out in our scriptures, is Matthew. wasn't the first one written. That would have been Mark, as we talked about last year. Uh, Matthew. Matthew finishes his gospel with these words. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We've talked about this in this series already. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That sounds quite similar to what we're talking about here today. But just in case we weren't sure if any of the other gospel accounts uh, said the same thing, let's turn to the gospel of Mark, and we'll go right to the end 
end of it as well. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now that's interesting because it's now a bit broader than just to people, right? There's something about the ecology, the whole sense of what the world is. Uh, to preach to all creation, whoever believes and is baptized saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. Please don't try that. And when they think, when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Again, don't try that at home. Um, they will place their hands on people who are ill and they will get well. Please do try that at home. Uh, so that's the Gospel of Mark. I do sometimes think the Bible should come with a warning. You know, like it comes across on the TV. Don't try this out. This is a dangerous book. It's filled with these things. So, Matthew, Mark, do we think Luke might have something to say about this? Well, we seem to be on a roll. We'll keep going. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, verse 48. So right again at the end of the Gospel of Luke. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And of course, Luke goes on to write the account of Acts, and as we'll see in a moment, he begins Acts the same way he has ended. Luke, does John have that at the end of his Gospel? Yes, he does. Of course he does. But it's not right at the end of John's gospel because John wrote his gospel and then in the end decided to stick an extra bit on the end. So this bit isn't the very end of it. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 20 and we're at verse 21. This is Jesus has appeared to the disciples and again Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of it. In fact, I would argue that everything in the New Testament is fundamentally wrapped up in this statement that it is the duty of every disciple to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to take part in the evangelization of the world. So let's go through these words one at a time, or the ones that I've picked out anyway. Duty. This call to mission... This call to witness, to evangelization, is not an optional extra. It's not for the super spiritual, not for those who see themselves as anointed as evangelists. It's for all of us, for you and for me. We're going to look over the next few months really in fact I would say the next 18 months we're going to, our series will all revolve around this question of how we relate God's grace God's, the fact that God is the one who is doing a good work in us alongside that sense of yeah but we've got to do some stuff right there's a responsibility upon us to do things and there's a tension there and how we partner with what God's doing both in the world and in our own lives can get complicated and so sometimes we end up really passive and we're just sitting waiting for God to do things and other times we end up working so hard that we become what's called Pelagian where we think we can actually make ourselves good somehow 
But there's a strange balance somewhere there in the Christian life. And so we're going to spend a lot of time over the next little while kind of asking, how do we do that? But for today, we're definitely in the category of this is a duty. This is a responsibility that that those who would call themselves Christians have is to behave in the way that we're describing. So, it's a duty. It's a duty to do what, though? To bear witness. What does a witness do? Well, they witness to stuff. I'm going to do an example. Nick, will you stand up for me, please? Karen, will you stand up for me? And you can go and stand over there somewhere, please, and if you stand there, Nick. Now, some of you may know this, but I, uh, my first degree I did was as a lawyer. I, I never became a lawyer, but I did a law degree. I'm going to have some fun. We're going to pretend there was a car accident. It happened as two, two cars came down a road, there was a set of traffic lights, and ultimately the two cars crashed into one another. Bang! Terrible mess. And both drivers said, it was your fault. But thankfully, standing on one corner, we had Karen, and standing on the other corner, we had Nick. They can't sort it out until they get to court. It's come to court. Nick has been sworn in like this gentleman on the Bible, even although the Bible itself tells you not to swear an oath on anything, but we'll not worry about that. Nick, I am going to be the lawyer for a moment. Mr. Williams, thank you so much for coming to court today. We appreciate your time. Um, Could you tell the court what you saw? That day you were standing on the street corner. (laughs) Am I improvising? (laughs) Yeah, go for it. Um, There was a really bad accident. The red car's fault. Excellent. Thank you very much. So the red car, that is the Ferrari to most people, but Nick does the red car. The Ferrari proceeded down this street and straight through the lights. Jumped the red light. Jumped the red light. Perfect. So most importantly of all, Mr. Williams, can you tell me how was the Ferrari made? Uh, No. I, I don't know that. Oh. You don't know how the Ferrari was made? In a factory, I'm assuming. Okay, thank you. You're your... Okay. <laughs> Dr. Innes. I presume. I presume. Yeah, very good. Uh, you were standing on the other corner. Was it the red car's fault? Yes. How did it happen? I saw them both hit one another. Okay. (laughs) And can you tell me how the red car was built? No. Useless. Uh, Judge, I submit that both these witnesses are pointless and we can end this little exercise. Thank you, Your Honour. Thank you both very much. Why Why are we doing that? Two points. I don't know if you noticed, but Karen, and she wasn't coached to do this, didn't tell the same story as Nick. Nick said the car came down the road and went straight through the red light. Karen missed that out. Why is that? Because witnesses are generally rubbish in court because they don't actually remember what they saw. They kind of, their brain fills it in. There's a whole load of psychology about that. It's genuinely fascinating, but not for today. 
But the most important thing about that is that witnesses can only actually tell you what they saw. So when I asked Nick how Ancan, how that car was built, they went, oh, that's a stupid question. I don't know how to build cars. This matters to us because when we are told to be witnesses, we need to realize what we are and aren't being told to do. You're not being told to be a witness, and then when somebody comes along and says, so tell me how God made it all, I need you to remember that you're not an apologist, you're a witness. And so you say, do you know what? I don't really know. And that's okay. Perfectly okay to say that. It will completely throw people off because nobody in this world today ever says, I don't know, because we've all become experts in everything. So you just I don't know. But what I can tell you, and you can only at that point tell your own story. My story is I sat in a back room of a house on St. Swithin Street in 1996. Somebody prayed for me and the world didn't look the same afterwards. I can't tell you any more than that. I don't quite understand what was going on, but I do know that somebody was praying for me in a Christian setting. They were praying that I would know Jesus. And God met me in the most profound way that was unbelievably personal, that couldn't be made up by someone else. Oh, and past that, I then went and learned that Jesus was a real person and blah, 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 blah. I can, I can tell you that story. But if you want me to tell you how the world began, I, I don't know. And I'm not, I don't have to. It is some people's calling to be apologists and evangelists. There are some great ones around in the world. There are some great ones in our country. There may be some great ones in our church. But it's not everyone's calling. Everyone's calling. Everyone's duty is to bear witness. Tell your own story. Tell, you, tell what you have seen of Jesus. Who you know Jesus to be. And trust that that will be enough. I think many of us have become crippled with fear around this stuff. And so have got to a point where we just won't talk at all because we can't answer a lot of the questions we know people legitimately have. People genuinely care about how, it was, how the world was made. And there's time to have that conversation. But it's, that's not you being a witness. If that sounds like I'm letting you off lightly... I would point out that the word that's used for witness in the Bible is the word martyr, from which we get our word martyr. So, so that's the point. It can cost you to tell your story. And it did in the earliest times. If we think of the book of Revelation, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But actually, our stories really, really matter. How you met Jesus, what Jesus is doing in your life just now, the ways God has spoken to, to you, the ways God has worked in your family, those are the stories to tell. Because that's God at work today. People will be profoundly open to that, particularly in our culture just now. Right, we need to hurry up. Um, so... We bear witness. What do we bear witness to? It's worth, we're not witnesses to accidents. We're witnesses to the gospel of Jesus. What do we mean by that? Well, gospel is a simple word. It just means good news. We're witnessing to the good news of Jesus. What is it that Jesus has done that is good news in your life? And so that comes back to the discipleship moment for us. Are you convinced Jesus is good news? 
Are you convinced Jesus is good news? Have you reminded yourself of that recently? Because I think we forget this. Because we, as we're going on with Jesus, as we look at the world, it can, it can be a weight that brings us down. But you know what? Jesus is good news for us. He is hope for the hopeless. He is the one who promises to release the captives from prison. To heal the lame. To let blind eyes see. He is good news. He has been good news in every culture for 2,000 years. And he's good news today for you and I. We need to remember that. So, the duty of every disciple to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a second duty, which is to take part in the evangelization of the world. First of all, to take part, there's loads of different ways to do this, okay? Because we've now shifted from witness, okay, which is the duty of all of us, to something really quite specific, which is evangelization. We're gonna, so what is evangelization? It comes from another Greek word, euangelion, just means a good news. Again, we're back in that territory. But it was used in the New Testament in a very particular way. Because in Greek culture, Greek Greco-Roman culture, when they won a war or a battle, they would get some wee lad and they'd send them running. And his job was to run back to the village, town, city that they'd come from. And he was to run in and proclaim good news that they had won the battle. He was called an evangelist. That's what we mean. And by, and by evangelism, we are telling good news. We are proclaiming the good news that the battle has been won. And there are two people on the screen here. Uh, anybody know who this one is? Billy Graham. That's right. Anyone know who this is? Sorry? No. Ah, well done. Look at the man at the back whose parents were missionaries. Uh, William Carey, who was one of the earliest missionaries, 1790s, uh, went to India, formed the Baptist Mission Society. This is what we often think of, I think, uh, when we think about um, missionaries or somebody like Jackie Pullinger, maybe, who gets on a boat and doesn't know where she's going and gets off in Hong Kong and completely transforms a community. Uh, Guys that went to CT Stud, people like that went out to China, one-way tickets, never came back, that sort of thing. Or Billy Graham, who's preaching to the reckon over a billion people in his lifetime that he preached to. I don't know about you, but that's not particularly inspiring. I find it actually a heavy weight to carry because it feels to me like I will never be either of those kinds of people. But the evangelization of the world today looks very different than it did back in those days because the world is a different place. It looks much more like this. Anybody know who any of these people are? No. My suspicion is you don't. All three families, people, are missionaries with the Baptist Mission Society uh, in Nepal. They're also in Nepal and... Sudan. Um, but here's the thing. They're not Billy Graham standing talking to 100,000 people. And they are not um, the other guy. Yeah. Carey. William Carey. Sorry. William Carey, who went and translated the Bible into the local language so that he could tell them all about Jesus. 
Uh, she's a GP working in Nepal. He's an educator who's running a whole big school uh, for missionary kids and for uh, locals. Uh, this guy works in international development and agriculture. Uh, this guy is, uh, she's, she's an occupational therapist, and this guy's a businessman who runs business uh, in order to generate wealth that they can spend in the local community. Mission today looks radically different than it did in the past. It looks like ordinary people doing ordinary things with Jesus at the very heart of it, because he is good news, because he has overcome the world. And how do we get to take part in it? Well, maybe God's asking some of you to go. Wouldn't that be amazing? This church has a legacy of sending missionaries. If you look around the church in various different places, so on the communion table, above the door on the way out, there's a couple of the chairs that now reside upstairs that have plaques on them, and most of them are for people who were missionaries in this church. Wouldn't it be great to send some more out? And I know some of you are sitting there going, I'm too old for that, or I'm too busy for that. It's not true. The biggest group of people who are going as missionaries now are retired people on what would traditionally have been known as short-term mission, but they go for three to five years. Um, and they go with the skills they already have. It's not about going and being something different. So we can take part. For those of us who are not called to go overseas or participate in that way, then we are to pray. We're to give. We're to be attentive to it. So we're going to do some stuff about uh, BMS in a couple of months' time. Uh, and we'll let you know what that is nearer the time. To take part in the evangelization of the world. It's a huge scope that Jesus has. We, we read the, the Matthew passage. It, it, he doesn't just say to these uh, 11 people on the top of the hill, tell you what, go and do something nice in your wee village and that'll be just about enough. He says, no, I want you to go and take the whole world. It's this radical, crazy vision of the whole world knowing the good news of Jesus. We need to bear that in mind. We, we have a calling to be specific to Portobello, to be relevant in this place, to, to be grounded in this place. But we must never lose sight of the fact that, that our calling is ultimately to the whole world. And we have to participate in that. All right, nearly done. Those are the three declarations of principle that we've gone through. Jesus is supreme, baptism, mission. Why does it matter locally? Why does it matter here in this place that we would be a church like that and we would function as a membership? Let me tell you two things it's got nothing to do with. The first that it has nothing to do with is that your name's on a roll somewhere. Couldn't care less about that. It's got nothing to do with it. And the other thing that it's got absolutely nothing to do with is voting. It's a terrible thing in a Baptist church, but we do end up thinking, oh, we need to be a member so we can vote. Like, I missed that bit in the Bible, sorry. Maybe in Hezekiah somewhere or something. It's just not true. We don't care. Couldn't care less about that. What it is about is about a shared commitment and cause. That's exactly what it's about. This kind of thing. We were all going to put our hands in together. No matter whether we're young or old, 
our nationality, whatever our gifts are. We're like, no, we're in this together. This sense of calling to be local here, to make sense of the gospel for people here in Portobello, but also to have our view on the whole wide world. What does that look like in practice? Well, first of all, it means that if someone is a member here, then we are committed to you. We are committed to your flourishing. We're committed to you growing as a follower of Jesus. And that means that we will provide things for you. It means we will engage in your life. It means that when times are tough, we will show up. We want you to flourish. And by you, I mean all of us committed to us. We will create a space for you to express your gifts and your talents. We will see you in those. We will seek to see you grow in those. But it also works the other way because in membership you are making a commitment to us. To say, yes, I'm in with this. And actually I will give of myself. I will serve. I will share what I have. Had time, we would get out Acts chapter 2 and we would see that actually there was a radical nature of commitment one to the other in the earliest church, that that was normal. That the sharing of food in people's homes was normal, in other words, hospitality. That they gave all they had, in other words, generosity. That these were the markers of what it meant to be committed to this community. It wasn't what they were doing for you, it was what you were doing in the community. That you will commit to a shared life together. That's why membership matters. Not whether you get a vote when we gather together. But there is one thing that does matter. Which is the gathering together. What are we doing when we gather here? Or when we gather in our church meeting setting? What are we doing? We're not voting. We're seeking together the mind of Christ. That's what we're here to do. And so there's a commitment to sharing in that and to discerning what is God asking us to be in this place? What is God asking us to participate in in world mission? It's not about me standing up here and saying, I've got all the answers for you. Here they are. Take them. Go do it. It's about us together discerning what is God saying we should be? Who is God calling us to reach out to? What new thing is God asking us to start? What thing is God asking us to shut down? We have leadership. We're delighted that God has called leaders among us. It's a delight and we get to recognize that and call them up. But beyond that, we're all in this together. Discerning together what is God saying to us? What is the mind of Christ? That's membership. Nothing to do with voting. Nothing to do with name on a roll. Everything to do. Everything to do with a common commitment one to the other and together seeking to understand the mind of Christ as we live out these three incredible things the supremacy of Jesus in all things our baptism and the commitments that that means we make and finally that sense of duty to bear witness to the good news of Jesus we're about much more than that but we are at very core about that And now we get to figure out what it looks like to live that out as the sent ones of God in this world. Let me pray.